This is the Mind Your Business podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mind Your Business podcast. My name is Matt Williams. I run an accountancy business in Oxford and I'm joined as always today by the fabulous Alan Clark, but also in a special 50th anniversary, 50th anniversary, 50 episode celebration, we're also joined by our first podcast guest. So we've also got the wonderful Marcus Taylor from Venture Harbour uh, in the building with us today. So good afternoon, gents. Are we all good? Very good, Matt. Very good. Yeah, thank you for thank you for having me on. No worries at all. So everybody that listens knows exactly who I am and exactly who Alan is, but they may not know who you are, Marcus. So could you give us a real brief kind of bio on who you are and how you happen to be sat on our podcast today? Yeah, so, um, so I run Venture Harbour, which is a a slightly quirky venture studio in Oxford that builds a new software venture every year. And we're now, we're currently building a uh, marketing uh, analytics platform called True North. And we are a client of yours, Matt. And I think we've worked together for God knows how long, uh, too long. Too, too long is not <laughs> how I would say. We have worked together for a long time. Um, I think, yeah, you're, you're uh, one of those clients that we always like seeing because you've always got something going on. Like some clients, we were just talking before the podcast, I've, I've had two phone calls today from different clients that have got lots of drama happening. And your your business doesn't seem to have, it's not drama, but you've always got something interesting. There's always, whenever we come to your office, there's always, I don't know, instruments out or Nerf guns there or something VR related that's happening. It's really quite interesting. Um because you're, a, I guess you're you're in a, a modern business, right? Was, was that how you would describe Venture Harbour? It's a it's a it's a digital, mo- modern, young business. Yeah, so uh, kind of, I guess we're sort of we're now going into our eleventh year, which is kind of feels pretty crazy, um, but very kind of heavily in in the tech space, as you know. So um, Nerf guns kind of feel like a bit of a rite of passage, and uh, so we sort of. Yeah, have to, uh, and and you know my kind of love of automating everything. So, very, uh, very kind of modern, I guess, in that in that sense. I think yeah, automation is a is a topic we've talked about a few times, isn't it, Alan? So, Mr. Clark, have you got any any questions for Marcus that might start this conversation going? We're not sure quite where this conversation is going to take us yet, but I'm sure it's going to lead us to interesting places. So, Alan, you've not met Marcus before. Have you got any questions or anything to to get us going? So I've not met Marcus before, apart from about five minutes ago. But in that brief conversation, Marcus was mentioning about forecasting. And forecasting is clearly something we have discussed on our uh, podcast. It's certainly a conversation that comes up a lot in in coaching. Uh, And I know, Matt, you very much do that as part of your professional role for clients. But what I got from Marcus was was a was a bit of a philosophy there actually, and and a really interesting philosophy starting to talk about weather, etc. So Marcus, I wonder weather if as you wouldn't mind just expanding the weather as in the weather as in the okay. weather rain and 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 it was it was fascinating. And then we started our podcast. So I wonder, Marcus, if you 
wouldn't mind just expanding a bit of your philosophy on how you look at forecasting. Sure. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of on my mind a lot at the moment because we've we're sort of in um, uh, in the weeds, if you like, um, with building some stuff around marketing forecasting and it's really got me thinking about why why is this important why should we be doing uh forecasting whether that's financial marketing or 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 any situation where you might want to uh think about the path between where you are and where you want to get to and it kind of dawned on me that it's it's interesting to me to think that a lot of marketing teams uh either don't do marketing forecasting or they do it in a way where it's it's sort of trying to predict uh, the future, trying to kind of predict a fixed future event, which is, you know, kind of like what we were um, talking about, like trying to predict the weather. And I kind of I think that's sort of not quite the right approach, um, at least for marketing. I'd, I'd kind of love to hear both your thoughts on um, the equivalence for sort of finance forecasting and um, uh, also in coaching. Because I think with marketing, the, the the value really comes from thinking about where are you now and where are you trying to get to and breaking down that path between those two points. And so it's more about when the outcome is something that you can influence today. It's not like the weather, like it's, it's more like kind of forecasting like grades at school where the point of doing it is to influence your actions, influence your decisions so you can create a better future outcomes. So that's kind of what we're trying to sort of encourage more marketing teams to do is, is to have this slightly more flexible approach to forecasting so that it's more about starting a conversation and, and asking questions of how might we improve our, our situation in the future rather than sort of trying to predict, you know, where are we going to be in eight months time? I think that's really interesting because from the finance side, we help a lot of businesses with forecasts and there's two sides generally to a, a financial forecast there's the cost and expenditure side which is the easy bit to forecast because we know what most of our costs are or will be and we know if we move office then that's going to cost us this much and this is the cash flow implications sales is always the more difficult bit because everyone says well it could be hundred thousand it could be a million it depends on our sales and our marketing and our business development and then we then end up having a completely different conversation typically about well what's the average spend per customer and how many customers you know, how do you convert your customers and what that percentage is and how many leads do we need to generate and then what do we do to generate leads is that does that kind of play into to the, the marketing forecast that you're looking at or are you at a different level to that marcus in what you're generally looking at no i think that's that's exactly right and I, I remember a couple of years ago um for one of our ventures i, th I think you actually encouraged us to create a, a forecast uh financial forecast for one of the ventures and the thing that really struck me from from that was the, the costs like you're absolutely right like that that's something where we can sort of take that historical data and extrapolate it into the future and you know we might sort of add 10 percent or drop you know tweak things but it's fairly predictable but the sales is the really interesting bit and and i guess sales and marketing fall in the same category here because i think what the big realization for me was that i think we were spending maybe like ten thousand pounds a month on marketing and yet our forecast showed us like whoa like we're planning to add like an extra 
um, I think it was like 1.5 or, or 2 million. Like that was what, that was our ambition. That's what we wanted to achieve. And so it, this, this is why, like, I, I think this is a really powerful topic. It's very, very much like a foundation of a house in the sense that you don't see your forecast day to day, but it is underpinning every bit of marketing activity, every decision you're making. And without it, you have this kind of structurally unsound uh, marketing thing, because when we realize we, we want to be adding 1.5 million to the business, suddenly it raised the question of why are we only spending 10,000 pounds a month? Like that extra revenue is worth a lot more than that. And so I think it just, it, when you get it right, it answers a lot of these big questions. Um, so I think, yeah, massive overlap. So how did this, because I'm not sure, you know, obviously you guys have never met before. Marcus Allen used to have a career in, he was a, a director level in a large corporate, right? So when you were back in your you know, regional director, when you were opening a new store or refurbishing a store, was there a forecasting element that the sort of large corporates were using? They must have understood the footfall and the average spend of the, the nearby sort of customers and stuff before they opened stores, right? Or am I talking nonsense? Yeah, no, 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 absolutely there was. You know, they were uh, in many different metrics and they called it the the waterfall. It was a waterfall forecasting and it got you to a, a figure and then there was about eight or nine reasons why the figure was the figure was the figure. I guess looking at it uh, back now with hindsight, was there a lot of clarity there? No. It sometimes felt like um, that the exercise was, in many ways, to convince us all that that figure was was doable. And and it certainly really wasn't in the space as Marcus is describing it, which I love, which in essence is bringing the clarity in both from where you want to get to and then go heavy on the, the actions required. That, that that wasn't really in the forecasting. Now, the assumptions I think was that once the forecasting was done, it would be ha- handed over to the, the store teams or the field teams and the commercial teams to, to make it work. But of course, what we all know looking back and, and our experience working now with organizations is there's so many different silos and politics and competition going on within an organization that 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 seamless we are one team pushing together towards that in many ways doesn't really exist ca- causing it all to sort of fall apart so i i i'm i'm loving this conversation that's a brilliant question matt but and that that's certainly how it was it was done in in that organization ac- across it all i think understanding why you're building your forecast in the first place is is quite a an important insight to have because most new businesses that we help or we review their initial business plans and their forecasts the forecasts are massively conservative everyone goes into i've i've over egged the cost and i've under egged the sales because i want to just make sure that worst case it's viable that's everyone's first they want to be able to go and explain it to their other half and say look i've set and set up this business but look you know worst case we can still pay the mortgage and that, that feels like that means then you're aiming for your first year. You're aiming at just enough, just above broke, right, is, is kind of what you're aiming at, breaking even and then we're okay. And actually, 
that's not what your forecast should be doing, should it? It should be pointing the way forward to this end goal and then making sure we know how we can how we can kind of work our way through the mire to get there. But it's not the the standard I would say nine out of ten forecasts I look at from that have been prepared by business owners are not looking at where they want to be, it's where they need to be to justify it. Absolutely. And I'm being a bit rude here because I really want Marcus to do the vast majority of talking. So Marcus, I'll shut up in a minute. But that 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 bit, Matt, what in our podcast, the recent ones on growth, that reminds me very much of the 2.0 thinking, as I think as you coined it. You know, we can aim for survival, fine. Or, or we can go 2.0, we can up level and actually aim at a, a wider growth spatial ambition that that will change everything underneath it the systems and everything and guess what will happen that that new level will be created it's that that bigger pot we're no longer restricted so there is something in the forecasting process that if we can up level it um then you know the performance underneath can fill in quicker and quicker to create it i'll be quiet now i've got a a, a question specifically about marketing forecasts because I think most, if we look at small businesses, or and I, by small I mean owner managed businesses, so up to five ten million pounds revenue, I often have conversations with the business owner and we talk about their marketing spend, um, and they will every single one will say I think it works but I don't know there's that old adage isn't it 50% of your marketing is wasted but nobody knows which 50% it is does if, if a marketing consultancy or a marketing team within a business is is forecasting accurately does that does that give them some level of um what's the word like not responsibility to hit those targets is it is there do good marketing teams and consultants actually want a forecast in there because then they're how to account aren't they that's my question i think marcus yeah so this is this is a always been a bit of a, a funny thing that we've we've had to kind of deal with because the moment you draw that that chart um whether you like it or not you've set an expectation and so i think like the thing that we've always been really really clear on and um i think you you probably both agree with this is that you don't need to have a single forecast. It doesn't ever need to be one uh, one line because then you're making this sort of false decision between conservative or, or less conservative. And I, I think you know every time I've had a forecast come through from you, Matt, it's, it's had like three at least three tabs of you know what if we did this, what if we did that. Um, and I think that's the way to go. And what we've always seen work best with um, at least with marketing forecasts is. Um, yes, you forecast the most probable um, trajectory that you you want to achieve, but then you you can you can have bands. You can have you know your sort of what if this is you know we have another pandemic or there's you know your sort of minus ten percent scenario of if things don't work out, and then you you have your kind of more optimistic scenario of um, that it could be anything. It could be what if we double our marketing spend? What what do we expect? the outcome to be and do we see diminishing returns from that or not so this is i think the really important part um, of thinking of forecasting as a slightly more interactive exercise of kind of back and forward it's not about trying to come up with like doing it once and trying to come up with a you know perfect prediction of how do i get from a to b it's more about like what's what are the different options 
Um, and then from that point, um, you know, you might over, you know over deliver, you might under deliver. And the reality that, you know, we see at least in True North is like each month is different, right? Like some months are better than others. And so you sort of probably are going to straddle somewhere between your best case scenario and your worst case scenario varying from kind of month to month. Um, but I think it's really important to sort of give yourself that as a marketing team, give yourself that sort of breathing room of having a range rather than a, you know, fixed line that we are going to deliver this to. and that because yeah. in marketing in particular, if you have one campaign, you can have a campaign that for reasons unknown to anybody just catches the public mood and goes viral and suddenly or it takes you far out of even your best case scenario, I imagine, in terms of interactions and engagement and potential sales. And just the same as that, you could, we had a client the other day, a digital marketing business, that lost their biggest client because Google, six months ago, changed changed one of their algorithms and basically delisted this client. It just completely knocked them off of wherever they, you know, they spent years getting them to number one or top page. And it just disappeared. And it's Google's algorithm. It's not our client's fault, but because they're the marketing team, the clients held them responsible. And then when, and it all came to a head, coming back to forecasting, because they were setting this year's targets. And my client said to him, well, look, we're going to aim for, I don't know, 1.2 million impressions or whatever the metric was. And the client said, well, last year we were aiming at 6 million. So why am I paying you the same amount? And it's but the, 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 you know, the goalposts have moved, the pitches completely different the sport is almost different at this point but the client didn't didn't see the didn't see any of that and we're just looking at impressions and that was the binary metric that they looked at so i do wonder yeah that that was my wondering is whether marketing teams are used to that accountability um and and how how they manage that yeah i think it's i think it's always um, there's always going to be an expectation and especially in kind of marketing um, like agency client relationships there's always going to be an expectation set um, explicitly or implicit implicitly like you know in every single proposal there's going to be some indication of um, you know what the the outcome is likely to be and so I think the benefit of a of a good forecast is that you can be really clear on when that is and I think yeah the the thing that I really like um, when when we sort of done ours is you, you can almost sort of um, you know like I th- I think we all kind of know you know a lot of channels in marketing that are the ones you really want to be investing in they they often t- take a painful amount of time to really get going and to kind of get this flywheel where they they start working and so I think with a forecast you can you can be honest about that you can sort of say like look if you want to be investing in SEO and content like you yeah, you're going to have to await a good 18, 24 months before it's really kicking. Um, but when you start to see that on a on a forecast, you can it almost buys the agency or the the marketing team a bit of permission to not be uh, delivering the tangible results in the early days. You can see that um, real you know as long as it does come through. Yeah, no, yeah, no. like you want to see traction, but it's okay. Um, to I, I think the worst thing is when you get into this sort of situation where agencies and marketing teams are sort of saying like you know no 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 you have to keep investing you have to keep investing in it we're not getting any results but there's no there's no indication to the client of what like when is that going to happen and while no one may know for sure at least if it's 
forecasted, again, you can set that range. You could say best case scenario, we might start to see an uptick 12 months. Worst case scenario, it could be 36. We can extrapolate what the numbers would look like for that and then the client can make a, an informed decision. Um, but again, it just comes down to really kind of visually and tangibly uh, setting expectations that it's not one side of the table or the other. A good forecast puts everyone on the same side of the table. It, it gives the, the client or the, the, the business the outcomes and the, uh, the growth that they want. But while also, um, you know, setting expectations that the marketing team are able to um, able to deliver on. Marcus, I, I'm. I think this is fascinating. Uh, I think this is a five-hour edition now. Uh, don't know about you, Matt. Um, the, the people that people that are listening into this, right, um, are us, usually here to 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 get insights that they can use to strengthen and grow the business. Okay, and this this is definitely 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 in this space. At a very basic level, right? What do you see a correlation between performance in a business and, and I guess in this context, growth, sales growth, and a quality, robust marketing forecast? Because, and, and I, then I, where I'm going with this is, and, and you said it there in that, that last five minutes, a quality marketing forecast can take time. And, and takes probably a leap of faith, actually, for many entrepreneurs to stick with it. But I guess, but is is there a correlation? Do you see a, that correlation versus businesses that may not have that same rigor around forecasting? Yes, um, but I think it's it's an indirect um, it's an indirect link. So I don't I don't think it's a case of you create a forecast and. You, there's direct value from that. At the, at the end of the day, the forecast is it's it's a lump of information. It's a lump of, of insight. So the value comes from what do you do off the back of that forecast? And that's where I think the this correlation starts to, to become a bit clearer because it's there's a very strong correlation, I think, between creating a forecast and asking good questions of the business. And then it's those questions that would create the value and also the, the questions but i guess there's behavioral change as well that once the, the the questions the analysis the clarity and and then right there it is there's where we're going so there's a behavioral shift in terms of getting behind the actions to to, to hit that reality i suspect in many ways that could create a, a, the most maybe not even the most extreme a cultural shift within a business as it goes after now that new milestone? Massively, yeah. And I, I think um, particularly when it's it's visual as well, like I, no offense to Excel, but there's there's a, a big, I think, behavioral difference between sort of having a, a forecast and, and a wall of numbers versus actually, especially for business owners, right? Like when you, when you can actually see, you know, my business could do that, seeing visually what, growth could look like and where the business could be in 12, 24 months time has such a, a profound effect on, on, as you say, the behavioral changes today and aligning everyone on the team with uh, getting behind that growth. That, that is, a, we, we deal with that all day long, right? Uh, part of our job is to translate 
numbers into into um, the language that the client speaks. So some are some will happily look at a big long list of numbers and understand. Some will want it in a kind of graph or a, um, you know a pie chart or a bar graph or, or traffic lights. However they see it, we need to understand that and, and produce it. One of the things that we've started putting into a lot of our management accounts. Um, like monthly packs or our conversations with clients is is a kind of rolling business valuation because a lot of businesses you know say oh yeah we want to sell in seven years yeah that's typical right they've got this point down the line and that's when we want to sell the business by um but they have no and, and we want to sell for a million because everyone wants to sell for a million right that's the that's the goal that everyone seems to have but we show we're now starting to show businesses well look this is where you are and actually your business is worth if you if you put it on the market today it's going to be worth six hundred thousand pounds and actually a lot of business owners don't don't haven't looked at the value don't understand the value have got no concept of it and linking this you know if we grow by 10 percent, if we do this if our top line goes up we know we've got our costs under control yes we're going to make another i don't know fifty thousand of profit next year but actually that's adding 75,000 or 80,000 or whatever onto the valuation. And that's an asset that they're building. Then it's like everyone knows what everyone knows what their house is worth. Not everybody knows what their business is worth. And yet it's probably their biggest or second biggest asset that they own. It's really interesting that people don't, and they only connect with it the year before they want to sell when someone values it. And they're like, oh, it's worth X amount. I wish it was worth a million, but they've disconnected from that forecast all the way. So okay that was a slight waffly random aside which is kind of what we're known for the other thing i thought whilst we've got you on the line marcus would be really useful to pick your brains on is automation within marketing because i know you once sat me down over lunch and and tried to build an automated marketing system for me and it was like you were genuinely like you were talking a foreign language. I understood the words, but didn't understand a thing that you were doing. But your your whole business is built on on automation, right? So, can you how easy or how effective can a, a, a simple automated marketing system be for small business owners? You use um, was it Active Campaign you were showing me how to use that was kind of yes. Yeah, I'm kind of asking about five questions and no questions here. (laughs) So Alan Alan is not minded at all. Probably has no concept of even what I'm saying. So you, you may as well go and have a cup of coffee, Alan, for this next five. On my own. (laughs) I I mean, in terms of the effects of this, it's probably hard to um, you know really sort of do it justice. I mean, I. I've always tried to look at things like uh, marketing automation software, like Active Campaign, as essentially a uh, full-time member of staff that just works through the night, every night, perfectly consistently, um, and can and improves over time because you can you can build rules in so that um, you know you've effectively got AB everything can be AB tested automatically. So we we have um campaigns running that are just set to run a b tests for the next two years and just kind of optimize themselves so there are aspects of kind of marketing that really 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 shouldn't be automated um areas where you have a lot of creativity that adds uh the value 
But there's a lot of areas of marketing that are just so ripe uh, to be automated. A lot of performance marketing where we're talking about changing bidding and and trying to kind of work out, uh, you know, improve conversion rates like that. That sort of stuff is super ripe. Um, but the best kind of case study that I'll kind of quickly um, share, because I think it's quite a potent one, is with automated webinars. Um, so previous venture that we, um, we we were kind of focusing on, I used to jump on demo calls with users all day long. And to be honest, I hated it. Not my cup of tea, and but it was it was the most effective way to convert um, users from their trials to being paid paid users. Um, and I was doing about five five probably about five to seven of these a day. We then switched over to uh, what's called evergreen webinars. So it was eff effectively me recording uh, a personalized demo and then running it every single hour um, automatically. And there were areas of it that were were actually we'd have like a virtual assistant go in and answer questions. So it was kind of live-ish. Um, the conversion rate increased. So it was more effective having an automated recording of me do a webinar than me actually doing it live. So I saved a lot of time. Conversion rates went up and this thing got better and better and better over time because I could A-B test parts of the webinar. So that's just a really cool example of how like, I think we spent like $200 a month running that and saved me time and the return on investment on that was pretty pretty heavy so as so you set that once record the webinar set the system up so someone would just to break this down into layman's someone would sign up for the product themselves on your landing page and then the automation would take them all the way through that onboarding process to where they either dropped out the end as a customer or as a as a churned customer prospect that might come back round. yeah yeah, and it would invite them onto the webinar. Um, about 70% would sign up for that webinar. Um, and then our conversion rate of someone who attended the webinar was about 10% higher than someone who uh, who didn't attend the webinar. So it was quite a significant uh, improvement. Because, yeah, the other, the other question, I think we're just about going to have time to talk about that I had. I remember you talking to me a, a while back with one of your earlier ventures where you'd understood that you'd managed to niche your prospects down to the point where you knew exactly the the type of company that you needed that were going to go through onboarding and stick as a customer and there'd be loads that would sign up but you knew would fall away because it wasn't quite right for them and so you almost built a system to filter those out using i remember you showing me they land on their landing page and put their name in and you've already scraped 20 different bits of data from them on the internet can you just talk to us about assuming you remember this this conversation can you just explain that to us because i think that's that's like witchcraft to me if i'm honest <laughs> yeah it's um i'm trying to remember what we did but i think there's a tool called monkey learn which is um essentially allows monkeys who don't understand machine learning like myself to build machine learning um apps and, and tools so i think what we were doing was when someone signed up for a product we we essentially sent all their um all their data to to this algorithm which would learn what are the signals that predict someone who is going to use the app love it and pay for it versus the signals that tell us that's a user that is likely to churn or not have a good experience we would then use those signals or the, this algorithm would use the signals to as soon as someone landed on the car on, on the landing page we would we would be given like a probability score of like so this user is 74 percent likely to 
go on to being a paying user and we could use that to you know decide how much um time we want to dedicate to them uh, etc and it was weird things so i remember that like there was an example like i think if a user used a mastercard versus a visa like that was a predictive factor where we, where somehow that said something about someone that meant this algorithm had worked out they're more or less likely to be a paying user of a form software like it things that just don't make sense to us intuitively this algorithm had picked up on those signals so um yeah slightly weird one but quite interesting definitely interesting can, can i just come in i mean both fascinating um examples marcus and i want to go back to the, the previous one just that you know what you what you have done essentially is is with such clarity you know such clarity of mind looked at the the webinar circumstance and that that was that was that was great worked out that if you went on and and physically talked your conversion would go up so you know using the data working out that actually if you going in would enhance the probability of a higher conversion but emotionally wasn't the first thing you wanted to do in a day then thought, what what if? And you've used that phrase a few times on this call, which is brilliant. What the what if? And the what if is building an automated version of you. And you you executed that and you noticed that the pixelated version of you had an even higher conversion. And the genius is there, of course, that that's playing out every hour and you're off creating more value somewhere else. So the pixelated version of you is outperforming you, which you're happy with, and then you're creating more value for your company, which you're equally happy with. You know, so I, I, I it's just, it's, it's not simple in terms of the how you created the the automated webinar. I know that's complex, but the thinking is beautiful that people listening to this podcast can be inspired and apply similar thinking to their own businesses. Um, so I just wanted to play that back. I also love the bit when you said about having a full-time member of the team working consistently well throughout the night. You know, again, it's that level two thinking, Matt. It's that version two. It's, di it's different. It's expansive. It's, it's brilliant. So just wanted to play that back. So, Marcus, your recorded webinar, would you say that was the best version of that webinar you ever delivered? Did you do it more than once? Did you record it more than once before you got one you were happy with? I um, kind kind of, but the the benefit again of it being automated is I didn't have to do it in one take. So I could I could slice the webinar up into say ten parts and just A/B test the introduction or just A/B test the, uh, the the pitch at the end of it. So it 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 took the pressure off having to deliver a you know one hour perfect webinar to actually just, um, you know, lots of sort of five minute chunks that I can then sort of, um, you know, optimize over time, uh, which, yeah, takes a lot of pressure off. I incidentally, there was, um, I, th I think your question, Matt, was uh, like uh, around the value of automation. And um, just to your point, Alan, over the last few years, I think I have increasingly looked at automated solutions, not so much as a what's the, um, you know, uh, revenue or, or the, the sort of bottom line improvement this is going to have on the business, 
but actually using automation more as a tool to reduce the sort of bottom 5%, like the things that I don't enjoy doing in the business, trying to get those off my plate. Um, and so things like we do, we have like a, a lot of dashboards, a lot of sort of um, data insights uh, in, our, in our team. And one of the things that I've, I don't know if I should be admitting this on a podcast, but one of the things that I've, I've really enjoyed doing is trying to automate the, the aspects of management that I'm either really not good at or really don't enjoy doing. So, you know, if team members are, are not um, performing in certain areas, instead of me having to sort of, you know, be the bearer of bad news for that, having little automated things that pick that up and, and display the data that would encourage the right behavior. So I think automation, like this is not really talked about very often, but you don't, automation doesn't just have to be for things like marketing and sales that add value. It can also have a, an emotional benefit of clearing, you know, the, the deck from the things that as a business owner, you really don't enjoy doing. That's huge. That's automated people management feels it's the future it feels dangerous i think if it goes too far it feels like it's a bad sci-fi film then right but I, I understand exactly what you're saying we've talked a little bit about a tool that zero use in their head office marcus that um every day the last thing that every employee does is they basically tick a thumbs up or a thumbs down on a on a little tool which basically tells head office whether they've had a good day or a bad day not in terms, just just in general, not in terms of productivity or anything in particular, but then they then track the kind of mood of the business by the kind of feedback that they're getting on this tool as a, because otherwise you ask your staff, how are you doing? And they'll tell you, and you, you deal with um, guys that are coding all day, right? They like to be sat in a dark room and not disturbed by anybody. You ask someone how they are, they are almost certainly they're going to say, yeah, I'm fine or I'm busy neither of which are useful answers that you can particularly help and, and deal with, are they? Yeah, I, I think it, it often, you know, the, the line on this is has to be drawn drawn around intent. Like, what's the intent behind it? Things like, you know, you see a lot of companies go too far with, with spying software where the intent is, is indicating a lack of trust. Um, whereas with something like that, if, if the intent is genuinely to be a, a better early warning system for mental health issues or to help, um, you know, help spot where interventions are needed, then I, I don't think many people are going to be, you know, find that that controversial. But it is a it, it is a fine line. And I think with all this sort of automated stuff, you have to be very sort of careful on, um, you know, what why are we doing this? And, and is it really for, um, you know, right intent? Oh, yeah, I, I, I only found out about spying software a little while ago because I'm naive and I assume everyone kind of runs their business like we run ours. And and I was talking to, yeah, we were talking to, we we're, we're recruiting at the moment and we were talking to a, a candidate that were basically saying, yeah, they've, they have to be logged on by, you know, two minutes to nine and they have to, you know, if, if their keyboard's idle for a certain amount of time, then it pings up on their screen. I was, I was thinking, like what, what has the world come to if that's the way that people treat their employees? just, I don't know. Maybe we're just crazy hippies over on this side of the world, but it just was bonkers. Mark, you put your hand up, Alan. Are you are you saying you're a crazy hippie? Or I I am not saying that, but um, I, I realised my timing was quite unfortunate, and I can see why you might accuse me of being a crazy hippie. But that wasn't the point I was going to make. I, I I know we're getting near to the end of this podcast, Ma Marcus. 
I, I just it's a slightly different energy at a question. Um, when Matt was introducing me to you, he had sent me your TED talk, and it was fabulous. Uh, and everyone needs to watch it. And it was about the comfort zone and 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 pushing yourself out of the comfort zone really I, I loved it really really great and i i guess with this with this business of yours right now and the advances you're making is that still something that resonates with you and top of mind about marcus pushing himself out of his comfort zone with respect to himself and the technology that you're creating massively yeah it's it's a i guess for me a, a pretty strong value and um, I've often thought of Venture Harbour really as a, a vehicle for personal growth and for myself and everyone in the, in the team. It's why we have this slightly strange model of building a new thing every year because and, and we have this this rule within Venture Harbour which is everything we build has to be more ambitious than the last thing we built and that's a, that has to be unanimous and the, the purpose of that is very much because if we're not doing that then we're probably not pushing ourselves out of our comfort zones. We're probably not learning at a rate that keeps us ahead. And so from a work perspective, for sure, it's Venture Harbor has to be delivering that. Um, and then on the personal, um, personal side, I'm, I'm a personal development junkie and I'm always trying to throw myself out of airplanes or, or do things that are you know, constantly pushing me. So you might have an automated version of yourself coming out of the aeroplane, sort of Mission Impossible style. <laughs> Next venture. <laughs> there we go. Well, look, I'm conscious that we are over. We, we always run out of time, Alan, but we've completely run out of time. We're at more than 40 minutes now, so I think I'm going to wrap it up. Do you want to, Alan, just recap the main areas that we've talked about and then we can uh, let everybody go with it, get on with their day really oh brilliant no it was marcus once again thank you for coming on and it's been a fascinating 43 minutes and 32 seconds so far pre-editing um you know what we what we got into for the first chunk of the podcast was forecasting and the, the power of forecasting and and your philosophy about a much more proactive use of forecasting in terms of helping you to create the future you're looking for. Um, and I love the way that got, and I would just, in terms of what I do, I love the way that we got into sort of behavioral change, uh, maximizing the likelihood of, of that working. So that, that, was, that was really fascinating for me. And then got into the subject of automation as well. And you gave two examples, both of which like mind blowing, but also, each example gives people listening um, an opportunity to take these principles and use them in their business right now, which is exactly what we're all about in this podcast. And then finally, thank you for sharing a bit of your secret sauce about what makes Marcus ticks. Uh, that idea of the next project needs to be more ambitious than the one before. I love, absolutely love that and the com comfort zone sort of underpinning that. So Matt, that's my attempt at a summary. How's that? I tell you what, it was more succinct than I would have been, Alan, which was brilliant. So I guess then that just leaves me to wrap it up, really. So as ever, if you like what you've heard today, um, do give us some love on social media. LinkedIn in particular um, is where most of you seem to find us and share the love. I'm really interested to, to know how 
you all felt about having a guest on the show because this is the first time we've done this and it might be that you you're all sick of me and alan and actually we need to get a guest on every week um so yeah any feedback on that would be great you can find us all on linkedin um follow us on spotify apple music marcus i'm sure you can find on linkedin he's all over social media um and you can find out updates about venture harbor and true north which is going to be dropping fairly soon marcus right the the due date is almost there for that louise yeah there we go we're in d-day for the new venture so you can find out all about that but for now it's all for me it's all for marcus and it's all for my friend alan goodbye thanks this is the mind your business podcast